Hello. Hello. How are you? I am good. We have some winter weather rolling into our region, which in our area of Oregon, we don't get a lot of snow, but we do tend to get a lot of ice. And we have an ice event forecasted for later this week. And I am in the process of trying to figure out, do I endure the icy commute back and forth between work? Or do I just get to work and stay there for a few days? Because I am seriously doubting the safety of coming back home. So I'm kind of mentally preparing for the idea that I'm going to live at work for three or well, two or three days. Yeah, that's me. But what about you? That's funny. It's actually supposed to snow slash ice here as well. And so snow slash ice here does not mean that a lot is actually going to happen. But the city of Springfield as a society has decided subconsciously, I think, that if there is any level of snow or ice, everybody's just going to hunker down and stay home. (laughs) Nice. And the New Englander in me wants to mock this. But, you know, there is a piece of me that enjoys getting to have a couple of cozy days where it's beautiful out and everything's a little helter-skelter and we just get to go be a family in the house and it's cozy and a piece of me really likes it. Absolutely. So you're going to stay at work and I'm going to stay at home. Somehow I think I got the better end of this stick. (laughs) Yeah, you did. Because we get a lot of really complicated 911 stuff in these ice storms because we get lots of bad accidents or people have health problems and our responders have a really difficult time arriving on scene. And so we have lots of like, how are we going to get to this person sorts of conundrums? So yeah, it's sure it's going to be interesting. Ooh, but what's on your mind today? You know, I call with bad news. (laughs) Okay. That's um all right. Dun 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 dun. Right. Right. Um I I just realized recently that we are officially middle-aged. That is really not good news. Yeah, right? It's it's a little quirky. And I mostly am joking. I I don't find it to be horrible news for lots of reasons we can talk about in a second, but I just want to pause for a minute and see if I can get out of my, I'm a mid 20 year old person mentality and jump into the actual reality that I am a 40 something on his way, equidistant from being a 60-something, and just take a minute and take stock, if that makes sense. Yeah. Huh. 
Oh, that is bad news. I mean, it's good news in some ways, right? But boy, when you when you use a a loaded word like midlife, you know, popular media would have it that we're supposed to have some sort of crisis at this moment, and it's all supposed to be so angsty, angsty, depending on what part of the country you come from. I uh, fully support angsty. I know you do. Uh, I support <laughs> angsty. Uh, actually, I don't even say angsty at all. I just say angst. Uh, but anyway. I'm angsty about people who say angsty. Oh, well, I'm glad I could be that for you. Mm. But, you know, th- there's supposed to be like this tension or this dissatisfaction or something. I don't know. Like you said, I still have the mentality that I'm 20-something. So I don't feel like midlife, that that sort of loaded word should apply to me even though I too am 40 something. Yeah, it's, you know, I come at this from a couple of different interesting weird angles. First of all, I was never someone who was anxious about getting older. I have been in a leadership profession in ministry since I was 23. I have been dying to get older since that day. Mm. I celebrated with great joy my first gray hair. (laughs) I was delighted when I hit 30 and thrilled when I hit 40. At no point have I thought to myself, I can't believe I'm getting older. And even that goes against the cultural stereotype. So I'm I'm curious if we acknowledge we are middle-aged. When you were looking forward at that moment, what were your thoughts? Right. Well, okay, so I'm just like you. I have often been accused of just wishing I were 40 and acting not acting too big for my britches kind of a thing, but just having the mentality or the mind of a 40-year-old or something like that. And I, too, have looked forward to midlife because then you have enough life experience, theoretically, if you've applied yourself well, enough wisdom to gain an audience, to be able to speak into people's lives and, and have something worth saying. And That's always been my heart's desire is to have something worth saying and to be able to bless somebody's life by speaking into that life. And you can't do that as effectively in your 20s and 30s as you can later in life. And so not that, and you've been in a leadership role since you were 23, like you said, so it's not as though it's impossible, but there are limits to what you can do. And there always will be, but I have looked forward to kind of this time where I could get past some of those limitations of youth and have something worth saying and maybe have people willing to hear it. Yeah. For me, it's far more the second. I was always quite confident I had something worth saying. Um, (laughs) So you're clearly more gracious than me, but I definitely felt the limitation of audience. Mm. No one wants to listen to a 23-year-old 
unless they're very desperate. (laughs) It just is the way it is. And at the time, I thought that was obnoxious. Now, I think to myself, oh, that's why. (laughs) Right, right. But So, how would you describe your experience having settled into your 40s? What's the same? What is, is it what you expected? Is it different? Well, that's such a fascinating question. And I don't know that I have fully teased out what's the same, what's different. Because in some ways, I describe that feeling of wanting to have some wisdom to impart to others. And I felt like that would come with age. And there's a way in which the reality of the accumulation of life experience and attention to study and all of these things has borne fruit in my life. There's a way in which that is true and yet wildly different than I would expected. So it is what I expected, but it has a different flavor or a different character to it. I, maybe it's the difference between theoretical knowledge and experiential knowledge. You can watch all of the Rick Steves episodes on going to Europe that you want to, but until you step foot in these places and experience them for yourself, you don't really have a grasp of what it's like. And and I think that's just true of life in general. You think you know what it's going to look like, but when you've lived into it, it has a different flavor. And I think that's what I'm wrestling through. It's like, huh, okay, I in some respects, I feel like I'm where I want to be. And in other respects, this feels very different than I anticipated. But, you know, what did you say? Getting comfortable or or settled into your 40s? Is that what you said? I think so. I loved the way I said it, but I didn't. I I said it by accident and don't remember what I said. So listeners, please go back and let us know what I said. (laughs) Yeah. So, But getting settled into my 40s is almost like getting settled into my own identity. I think there's so much becoming, so much striving, so much acquiring and doing all these things. And now it's almost like, no, I am who I am now. Not that I don't have things to work on or character to grow into or all of those things. But by and large, I am what I'm going to be. And that's a different thing than the formation process that, or the way the formation process looked like younger in life. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is Richard Rohr in in describing the two halves of life says that the first half of life, you are creating with your life a container. And in the second half of life, you are filling it. Mm. And that image resonates with my experience And I feel like I am just on the verge of shifting from building the container to taking the time to learn to fill it. Yes, that is so true. That's a great analogy. 
Yeah, isn't that interesting? Because what I have a hard time doing is going beyond the analogy to explain exactly what I mean by that. But I hear the analogy and I'm like, yep, that's what I mean. But what do I mean again? <laughs> Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I. That's so true. And I think it's true in so many ways. I could apply that to individual aspects of my life, right? I, I think spiritually or uh, relationally or in terms of our friendship and how we've added the podcast to our friendship. And, and that to me feels like an effort of filling the container. We had no idea we were building a container for that purpose, but we're, we're now pouring this podcast into it. And mm. marriage is the same way, right? We've been forming this life together and now, and you know, adding kids is a way of filling that container, but in, in some ways it's, really just building them into their own containers, right? And so our marriage is going to get filled with new and different things as our kids age and move out of the house. So I, yeah, so many different pockets of life that I could put that analogy to and go, that's what that means in that context. But on a bigger, more like macro level, that's fascinating. It'd be hard to wrestle through exactly what that means. Yeah, I mean, the best I can come up with is you mentioned just a few moments ago the fact that in your 20s, you are very busy becoming. And at least for me, I knew part of what I was becoming. In my 20s, I would have been able to say, I want to be a pastor. I definitely would have said, I want to help disciple people. I want to be a dad. I want to be a husband, but there are parts of becoming that I didn't know were important to me, but I was pursuing wholeheartedly and are now built into me. Mm. I care a lot more about going deep than going wide. Yes. That is built into me. I'm not saying it's a right or wrong thing, but that is, that is the container I've built. <laughs> I care. That's funny because that actually has a shape. Like ha. The, uh, mentally, that you're talking about a long, a tall, mm. slender shape rather than a, mm. you know, that's fascinating. Yeah. You're I right. Made that's a very long test tube. <laughs> uh. Oh man, that's hilarious! But yeah, but I, it is right. Like I, I want to go deep. I don't care if I go wide or not. That is true in almost every area of my life. I care about balance on a level that I would not, I didn't set out to care about balance. And, and again, that's true in every area of my life. I find it fascinating, the things that have been built into my container that I wasn't planning on building, but once they, you know, almost like a, a pearl in a clamshell, once a, a speck of something showed up in a particular spot, I built on it. Yeah, I am noticing the same thing. And it's funny because over the years, you and I have been so instrumental in each other's formation. And I think we have formed one another in very similar ways, right? Mm -hmm. the, but there are ways in which we have 
grown up differently. And one of those ways is you are very, very committed to leadership and good, wise leadership in a way that I never have been. Like I read leadership books on occasion. I am a supervisor at my 911 center, so I have that leadership role. I feel like I have a leadership role in my family, and I've had various minor leadership roles in various churches. So it's not as though it's completely unimportant to me, but it is, as you said, going deep is way bigger a part of my DNA. I would rather sit down one-on-one with somebody and really get into the heart of life and, I don't know, give somebody a space to really work through who they are, what they're wrestling through, all of those things. I would, I'm much more bent toward that. That is who I am way more than I am a leader of an organization or I am a leader in this capacity. That's, I thought in my 20s, that's who I would be. And it's not, it's not who I am at all. Absolutely. You know, it's funny that you say that you said the one-on-one thing and, and both of us have built containers that value the one-on-one. Someone asked me just the other day, if in my current role, I miss getting to preach and teach on a regular basis. And the quite honest answer is nope, not at all. Getting to have deep one-on-one discipleship conversations, not organizational leadership conversations, not are you doing your job, are you fulfilling your role, but deep are you growing conversations. Man, if I don't get enough of those in a given week, I am craving them. Yeah, I may have mentioned this before, but the employees that I get to meet with one-on-one and some of whom feel very comfortable telling me, man, I took this really rough call, or I've been taking really rough calls. One of my coworkers even said the other day, when it comes to trauma, I'm like Costco. I deal in bulk. Uh, <laughs> That's, I hate to laugh at that. It's intentionally funny, so I can, but right. boy, it's a painful laugh. It is, and I have the exact same reactions. And so... You know, when and they feel comfortable sharing not just the call or a call or whatever, but the bulk, the bulk with which the, the, they are wrestling. And I appreciate that. And it is some of my absolute most fulfilling things that I get to do in my job is hear somebody out as they are working through that. And so, yeah, you're right. And if if a, if I have a week where that has been kept to a minimum, it feels like a very unsatisfying week because I didn't get to use my container the way it was built. Mm. Yeah. So coming back to this analogy I, I, uh, of building a container and filling it, the other way I was going to describe this, uh, I mentioned that you know in your 20s, you're constantly becoming. I feel like I have on some level, and you mentioned that this feels very different than you expected, and I feel the exact same way, I have become. If being in my 20s is about becoming, being in my 40s is about being. It's just about being who I am. 
first of all, do you sense that shift that I'm talking about? And if so, what does that mean for the spiritual journey in this sort of next phase that we're in? Because that, I feel like at least for me, the driving focus of discipleship in my life has always been becoming. I got to become this thing. And now there is a moment where that's, I'm not sure that's the right end goal anymore. Such a good question. So I have two thoughts with that. One is what if we've talked about on this podcast a couple of times, a rule of life. What if a rule of life should change periodically? I don't want to set a time frame to it, but at various life stages. And if you wrote a rule of life at the age of 20, it likely would involve becoming type things. And if you were to rewrite a brand new, start from scratch, rule of life in your 40s, theoretically, it would switch from becoming to being. And Mm. I don't know what the next stage is. And so I I don't even want to label it because I... I'm not there, but it's fascinating to think that maybe, therefore, we need to have an evolving rule of life. So that's one thing. But the other is that if I think about the idea of transitioning from becoming to being, one of the things that I feel like is true in my life as I start identifying exactly who I have become, what is the shape and the scope of the container that has been built? How do I use it to its greatest capacity? That question forces me to start discarding some things. Because in your 20s and 30s, you're acquiring, you're becoming, and you don't know what's relevant Ooh. and what isn't, right? And you yeah. start you start doing and, and gathering all of this stuff. And some of it fits with your ultimate form, and some of it doesn't. So as I start thinking about who I am and how do I lean into who I am and this idea of being, I need to take a hard look at some of the things that I've acquired, some of the habits, some of the ways that I spend my time, relationships, or whatever it is, and say, or, you know, what job am I in? Maybe this is why there's this midlife crisis, right? Because you start evaluating, who am I really? And what do I really want in my life? And that means a shedding, a letting go of things that don't fit the container that's been built and redirecting those energies toward the things that do fit. Yeah, that's really good. I was talking with somebody about being in midlife recently, and and he said being in midlife for him there was a process of dying that had to happen, not in the physical sense, but he didn't use any of the language we're using. But he said, in this time of transition, the old me had to die so that there was space for a new me to fully come into reality. And I thought that was really an interesting challenge and way of describing this. But the other thing I was thinking about on a completely different note, 
in the difference between being and becoming, you mentioned how this impacts our habits. And it actually gave me a lot of hope because I've realized lately, even when I spend time with the Bible, it is very different now than it used to be. The 20-something question at best that I could ask was, what am I getting out of this? Mm. Right? I'll be honest. The last couple of years, that is no longer the right question. And I have felt awkward about it, actually. Hmm. Very frequently, I will have an amazing time with God, with Scripture. And if I pause and ask myself, boy, what did I get out of that? The answer is nothing. But boy, (laughs) I connected with God. Mm. But there's nothing new there. I didn't learn something about God. I didn't learn something about me. There's no refining of my theology. There's no, none of that. I didn't get anything out of it. But if I look through the lens of, of shifting from becoming to being and allow that to impact the way I connect with God, boy, I'm doing okay with God lately. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just being rather than becoming. You know, that's so funny because I remember being in my teens or late childhood And looking at adults in my life or in my church, pillars of our church that were rock solid and steady, and thinking to myself, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Mm -hmm. And there was a solidity to them, a, a state of being that was solid. There was and and just grounded, and mm. if we lean into being, I think theoretically that is what we will evoke. That is what we will be. We will be solid. We will be. I don't know. I don't have another word than solid. I, I want to. I want to expand it, but I can't. Solid is all I've got. Yeah. No. I. I think you're right. And I think perhaps there's a way in which striving to become can itself become an idol. Mm. Because if I'm thinking to myself, I need to become more, I need to grow, I need to be better, I need to try harder, I'm really still the center of my own universe. If I pause long enough to think, whatever I am, God can do what he needs to do with me. He's enough for that. And if I, whatever way he wants to use me, I am the tool that I am. I'm just going to let it be. I think there is a solidity to that state of being. Hmm. It's an acceptance, maybe. I am who I am. I like me. And I'm okay with whatever the consequences of being me are. (laughs) Yes. You know, one of the things I had to do recently, I finished up 
you were a part of this, so you know this firsthand. But I had my very last official Denver Seminary training and mentoring experience. And the summative reflection- I got to meet Dean, everybody. You did, yeah. I met the one and only Dean. (laughs) He had his halo on and everything. No, and and bingo. (laughs) So yeah, it was great. I got to be, I was in the room with Dean. You were on Zoom. My mentoring professor was on Zoom. And we all got to reflect a little bit about what, this training and mentoring process has been in my life and where I'm at. But one of the things I was asked to do in my reflection paper was to think about mentoring the next generation and what are the qualities about me specifically, what do I bring as a mentor? And one of the things I realized, I like what we're doing right here. I like the, let's get deep, let's get thoughtful, let's get engaging we'll pull out random book quotes, right? Like everything we do on this podcast is what I love to do. Mm. If I'm going to mentor somebody, they have to have some level of interest in doing those types of things. Podcasts. (laughs) Right. Sitting down and going deep and thinking both theoretical and practical and and wedding these two things together and reading books and all of that. Um, I, 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 I'm going to be a much better mentor to somebody like that than I would be to somebody who wants to do none of those things and needs something far different from a mentor. Like you said, I'm comfortable with me and whatever the consequences of being me are, that's fine. So I'm not going to be everybody's mentor, but knowing myself, I I know probably the type of person I might be able to influence. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. There, There is an opportunity cost that has been paid to make me me <laughs> in that there are plenty of things I'm not, and it's time to lean into being who I am rather than try to become something else. Yeah, man, this is such a freeing conversation. I am excited to take the seeds of this conversation and watch them germinate, like to just settle into being that's that framed it really well for me to think through, like, how do I fill my container that's been largely built, but I want to turn it to the audience as well and say, what shape and dimensions are in your container? Is it formed yet? Is it being formed Was it formed a long time ago? What does the next stage look like? Where are you at on this journey? And what do you think are the essential ingredients for you in that stage? I am really fascinated to learn from those who are ahead of us and to hear the perspectives of anybody on a spectrum that we've been through before. I want to know how you've reflected on that and what it's meant for you. So, Please join us on On the Phone with Josh on Instagram or Facebook. We would love to hear from you and keep this conversation going. Yeah, if I want to see pictures on this, both Josh from Oregon and everybody else, 
if my life is a container, what kind of container is it? I want to see a picture of that. Please post pictures of your life as a container. That's awesome. I can't wait. I'm trying to think through what my container shape looks like. Yes. Let's do that. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, Josh from Oregon, while you try to figure out how to photo... Did I say Josh Uh, from Oregon? You did. (laughs) I was just going to comment on that. There's only two of us. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So clearly that means that somewhere deep, deep down, you want to go first. So go ahead. You share with me your thoughts first. Go. Uh, I have no thoughts. I'm trying to figure out what state I'm in, what state you're in, what shape our containers are. I'll start over. Okay. Somewhere that moment needs to be saved then. (laughs) For sure. For sure. If we ever do an outtakes episode, that's going in. All right, so Josh from Missouri, while you try to figure out how to take a proper photo of a test tube, what else have you been thinking about? You know, I mentioned last week I've been reading this book by Dallas Willard called Life Without Lack. It's this meditation on Psalm 23. And I just had another quote from it that I thought was incredible. Willard says this, he says, We do not achieve the disposition of agape love by direct effort, but by training, attending to and putting into place the conditions out of which it arises. So again, two things I love here. He's talking about this idea of being people who love. And basically he's saying, I need to not make it my personal goal to love you right now in this moment. Instead, I need to make it my personal goal to have a disposition of love. And the way that I do it is not by trying hard right now, but by training long term. Number one. And number two, I love this phrase by putting into place the conditions out of which love arises. You know, we were talking last week about the idea of the intersection of the body and the spiritual life. I am more loving if I am well rested. Mm. I just am. So if I want to be a person who is disposed to be loving, part of that will be I choose to get enough rest. It's not convenient all the time. It's not easy all the time, but I will choose to do it because I know it is part of what makes me a loving person. I will choose to get enough alone time so that I'm not snippy with my family. I'll put the conditions in place out of which love is able to arise in my life. And then I will train myself how to love. I just think that's an amazing thought. Yeah. I actually think it's about 15 thoughts crammed into one amazing sentence. (laughs) It's like love boot camp. Exactly. Putting all that training in. That's yes. really good. But but what about you? What have you been thinking about? So my thought comes from the Gospels again, and Jesus's statement to his disciples. So he 
taught in parables and then the disciples are like, hey, how come you always teach these people in parables? And Jesus is like, well, you know, to you, the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven has been revealed, but to them it hasn't. So to everybody who has, more is going to be given. And to everybody who doesn't have, even what they do have is going to be taken away. And that is such an odd answer, and I don't know what to do with it theologically. It really, really bothers me. It just doesn't sound very Christian of Christ to say that. (laughs) And Oh, yes, I totally agree. So... I think so. I don't have any answers for that, but one of the things that helps tame this statement for me is that the superlatives are on the positive side. To whoever has, more will be given in abundance, is really the way that Matthew puts it. But to whoever doesn't have, even what they have is going to be taken away. It is almost reminiscent of the to those who are faithful to me, I will bless them for a thousand generations. But to those who are unfaithful, you know, the curse will last to the third or, or third or fourth generation. And you go, well, mm. a thousand on the positive side and three or four on the negative side is a vast difference. And so I still have my questions. I still wonder what Jesus is getting at here. But the positive side is so incredibly positive. And I'll tell you that I do feel the positive side. I feel like my whole seminary experience has been a superabundance of blessing and knowledge and growth and affirmation and just good upon good upon good has been added to my life through this seminary education, and I'm so thankful for it. So I feel the positive side of this statement, but I still don't understand what Jesus is getting at with the fact that he would even take what little somebody else has and and remove it completely. That feels very punitive to me and arbitrary. Mm. Man, I'm with you. That is one of those things that I would love to have Jesus not have said, and I would love to think that maybe Jesus misspoke or something if it weren't for the fact that he's like quoting Isaiah. I mean, this is a long-standing stance that God has that I don't get. And it just reminds me that even if I'm in this stage of becoming, I mean, the stage of being, there certainly are things I still don't get. I haven't fully arrived yet. Yeah. No, 100%. We never will. And I don't think, hopefully, that's not what was implied by our being argument. Uh, Yeah, absolutely not. But, yeah. Well, if we can let theological questions remain for a bit, it's time for the most important segment of our podcast. Ooh. Where shame embarrassment, confessions, all mingle together in this very poignant moment. The Witch Josh question. Ooh, Witch Josh, Witch Josh, Witch Josh, Witch Josh. (laughs) I feel like I need a jingle. 
Which Josh? Which <laughs> Josh? Which Josh? That is now going to be snipped and pasted to every single <laughs> Which Josh question. Uh, uh, just adding to the shame and embarrassment of this whole segment. Oh, thank you for that. So uh, clearly, which Josh edits the episodes, not me. <laughs> yes. All right. Here it is. Which Josh had a practical joke played on him in the middle of his wedding? And that would be me. It was a tiny little practical joke, but it was definitely there. Uh, so I grew up with my father-in-law telling me and all of my friends this long, long, long joke, like 20, 30, 40 minute long joke about purple flowers. <laughs> okay. And, and uh, at some point we could take a whole episode and I could tell you the joke and it would deeply rejuvenate your life. Um, <laughs> but my best man who is still a good friend today and who was in this circle of friends in the middle of my wedding, when the moment comes for the best man to hand the ring to the groom, he hands me my ring essentially wrapped in purple flowers. (laughs) So that no one else would know as long as I kept it together. (laughs) But I then had to figure out what to do with these purple flowers (laughs) as I'm trying to, you know, this is not on any level a stressful moment in my life in which I am trying to get everything right. And my best man is supposed to make it very easy for me to just, you know, put a ring on my wife's finger. Right. And instead he hands me the ring wrapped in purple flowers, uh, which was absolutely hilarious. And a very perfectly sized, deeply personal kind of moment that he pulled off beautifully. Just well done him. That is awesome. What a great, what a great moment. And I think it highlights the huge difference between a best man and the maid of honor. The maid of honor legitimately shows up to be a helper to the bride, but the, the best man he's just there to screw people over he's just there to make the groom's life miserable uh and has a different conception of like what his job is entirely yep plucky comic relief (laughs) yes uh that's awesome okay we survived the witch josh question once again and now the only thing that's left is to ask are we on for next week Absolutely. I'll talk to you then. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.